Welcome to the Human Flourishing Project. I'm Alex Epstein. Today's topic is how to identify your best practices and bad practices, best practices and bad practices. So before I go into this, I want to make a distinction. So there's a difference between identifying best practices and bad practices and a different kind of challenge which is when we know what our best practices are uh, and we're having trouble doing them. So it might be, oh, well, I know, and this is actually kind of a flawed idea as we'll see, but you think like, oh, I know the best way for me to eat, but I'm having trouble doing it. And this is not what I'm talking about today. Uh, What I'm talking about today is something that I think is easier and in a happy way, because it's what, what I'm talking about today is the phenomenon of we don't really know what our best practices are and what our bad practices are, but they're pretty easy to figure out. And and so often we're going to be able to find better practices quickly that are going to be just as easy to do as our bad practices. So that's, that's the kind of situation we're talking about. So this is a fun episode because it's pretty easy to apply and yet there are lots and lots of benefits. So it's not, again, it's not like, oh, I've been addicted to smoking, so to speak, for 50 years, and then Alex is going to tell me some strategy for getting off. It's not that if you really don't want to be smoking. It's, it's something different. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you what that is or explain to you what that is. So I'm going to jump first into identifying best practices and then identifying bad practices, although, as you'll see, these two things run together quite a bit. So what is a, a best practice? Well, I don't, this is not an official definition, but I find it helpful to think of it as something that works really well for you, given your nature and the nature of reality. So something that works really well for you, given your nature and the nature of reality. And notice the title today is how to identify your best practices and bad practices. So there's often, you can think about best practices in some sport or in some business and This is best practices for you. Now, the best practices I'm thinking or practices I'm thinking of as quite a broad thing. So it's, it includes things like moral virtues. You can think of that as a best practice, Uh, but this is much broader than that. There are many non-moral types of issues that uh, would fit in here and also just issues that are specific to you. So there can be a key element of a best practice in this context is this is something that might be good for you. Uh, and might be a bad practice or a suboptimal practice for someone else and vice versa. Something can be a bad practice for you and it can be a really good practice for someone else. So how do we find best practices? How do we find uh, new best practices? Well, you can find existing best practices by looking at your life and asking, hey, what practices or habits or behaviors do I have that I've been doing for a long time and that work well for me. So if I think of it with myself, you know, one that I've, I haven't been doing that long, but I, I introduced several months ago, I think is what I call performance time and feedback time separation. So at the beginning of the day, I do everything that involves feedback from the external world. So that's when I am checking my email and doing social media and that kind of stuff. And then I get done with that. And then the rest of the day, most days is performance. I'm doing stuff. And even by the way, if you see me on social media, I'm not 
checking what's happening on social media. I'm just posting to social media. So I'm performing. I'm not processing the feedback. It works much better for me when I uh, do the feedback in the morning. So that's just, you know, one example among many. And you can just think about, okay, well, what works, what's working really well for you now? So that's, that's cool, but that's not necessarily so much of an improvement. Maybe you can get an improvement by doing it a little better, doing it more consistently. But I find, and I've mentioned this before, that one of the, the best ways to get at a best practice at a new best practice is actually to re-identify an old best practice. So one of my favorite questions is, what has worked for you in the past that you stopped doing? Now, I got to be clear. When I say worked for you in the past, I mean worked for you as a practice. And so there are some elements here. So one is it worked well, but a key element is it was sustainable or it was sustained. So you did it for, let's say, two months plus, and it worked well for you. So that's something that is like that really points to a best practice. And you might think, well, if it's a best practice, why did I, is it, if it's really a sustainable practice, then why didn't I sustain it? Well, there's this phenomenon that I've talked about before that I think is very common and insidious, but also a big, a big area of opportunity to discover, which is that we often abandon best practices for seemingly better, but not actually better practices. So I'll give an example. I was, you know, I had a really good eating rhythm of I would eat, you know, near first thing in the morning, and then I would eat in the early afternoon, and then I would be done. And that worked well for me. I don't think it's universal. And in fact, I've heard it's not universal for many people. Why did it work well for me? So one is just the if I'm eating in a more or less an eight hour window or nine hour window, that means I'm, I'm fasting to a certain degree or some, it's probably not technically fasting, but you know, 15, 16 hours, I'm not eating. And so that works for me in terms of just eating the right amount of food. Also, I have a good amount of energy in the periods where I'm not eating the food. And when I eat work, when I eat during the day, including the work day, I tend to eat better since it affects work directly. Like if I have my second meal and it's a really heavy meal, then I know that I'm screwing myself. And I, I often work 6.30 and beyond. So yeah, then I, I know I'm really going to regret that. And for me, I find it super easy to fast, so to speak, for 15 to 16 hours if it's just starting at the end of the day. So if I have, you know, if I stop at three o'clock, like, all right, I go to bed at maybe 9.30 or 10 and I wake up and it's no problem. And that's just, that just works well for me. Whereas I find that if I, if I start eating, if I say I'm going to start eating at 11, then I'll have issues. Like I'll be hungry in the morning. And for me, I really don't like having a conflict between hunger. And I don't like if, if I'm working with on a difficult work thing, I don't like having the difficult work thing and then having to exercise some measure of willpower with food. Like I, I just like eating and then I don't eat too heavy, but I eat enough to be full for a while. And then I don't have to think about food. And then I can just, there, there, there's nothing, uh, there's nothing going on. So I don't like combining hunger with other difficulties. So these are just some of the reasons why for me, eating with this kind of morning eight or nine hour window, you know, morning to early afternoon, eight or nine hour window is an effective thing for me. So the point, the, but what happened is, I was, there are some other things that could be better. Like there are certain reasons why it would be better 
tea later in the day. I want to go into those, but I was, I was trying that. Uh, but then I found that I didn't, it didn't really work very well for me, but then I, I wasn't, I didn't go back to the original thing. I did the new thing, but a much more half-assed version of the new thing. So I'd sometimes have breakfast and then I'd have three meals a day. And then at the evenings I would tend to, sometimes I would order out more and I would have just, it just would be a lot messier. And it wasn't like it was, I mean, in a sense, I ate a little bit more unhealthy food. So that was kind of fun, but it wasn't really more enjoyable. In many ways, it was less enjoyable because of thinking more about food. But it, it, the interesting thing is it wasn't that this was the morning rhythm was just, it was unsustainable. Like I got tired of it. It's that I just thought I had something better. And then I effectively forgot about the original. And when we can discover something like this, it's very, very powerful because we can just, we can just do the thing that worked well and recognize that it worked well. And sometimes it might be something that requires a little bit of willpower to do. Or it's a little harder than the thing you're doing now. But I'm, I'm really looking for these things that are not that hard to do that work really well for us and that we just uh, forgot about them. So I mentioned performance time and feedback time. So I, I, I've had a you know, handful of days when I've gone off that or I just thought, oh, I'll just look at some jujitsu stuff in the, and there's you know, no big deal. And it, but it really does it really does affect things negatively for me when I, when I mix together the performance time and the feedback time. So like, I don't like any of this feedback and you can listen to the episode for more details, but like, for me, it's not good to just browse jujitsu news at night. It, it just, it, it interferes with a lot of the virtue of thing, but it's not like I was so compelled and I just have this irresistible thing. It's just that it, it, I kind of forgot about it. I kind of forgot why it worked. And this is one reason why it is really, really good to understand the mechanics of the best practices. That is, that's a key thing. So we want to identify what are these best practices that worked really well that we've abandoned and then get clearer on why they work. Another one for me is I have an iPod that I keep around me during the day instead of an iPhone. And whenever I do that, it's so much better. It's just amazing because I have an iPod. It's really simple. It has very few things on it. It just has the things that I need for work. And it's just amazing to me how having the iPhone, because it just has all these things on it, it's just so easy to get into something that's not productive for the situation. But when I have the iPod, I'm not, I'm not craving the iPhone. But it's just when the iPhone is there, it brings it's this condition that brings all these things with it. So it's just if I really remember that, then I can just either go to bed just with the iPod so that I, I'm not even thinking about the iPhone or just put the iPhone somewhere, just do something really easy. Again, it's not that this is some tremendous act of willpower, but it's just that it's just recognizing, hey, which is the best practice for me, understanding why. And then that makes it much more motivating to implement and much more likely that I will implement it given that understanding. So I think it's a good exercise. Just think about what are all the, you know, what are all the best practices for you? And especially what are these ones that you've, you've, that have really worked in the past that you've abandoned for one reason or another, because it's great to learn about new practices, but the thing with new practices is most of them don't work for us at least as recommended by somebody else for often they're recommended too abstractly, or even if they're recommended concretely, it won't work quite as well for us. But if you really had something that worked well, that really suited you, so it suits your nature and, and given the nature of reality, it works. So there's something inherently productive about it because it is working. 
that is that is great. So I'd say think about those. That can be really helpful for identifying best practices. Now let's talk about bad practices. So a bad practice. Well, it's it's. I, I'm not saying worst practice because that's sometimes a term, but it doesn't have to be that. It's just things that don't work well for you, given your nature and the nature of reality. And often, it's bad practice is in this context is for you. So there can be a good practice for others. That's a bad practice for you. And I think that's often how we lose our own best practices. We we follow someone else's best practice that's best for them, but not for us. And then we forget our own original uh, bad practice. So you know, you think about just what are one one way to do this is to think about okay, well, what are what are things that I'm doing now that don't work well for me, and particularly things that don't work well for me that I'm not that attached to. That's not, it wouldn't be that hard for me to stop, but I can just uh, do it. So one, you know, one for me was, and this is, this is related to the food thing before, just going to the grocery store. We have a really nice luxury or kind of fancy grocery store near where I live in Laguna Beach called Gelson's. And it's got lots of food. And I would just, when I was out of my morning routine habit, I would just, you know, I'd go there in the evening and get myself some kind of treat. And it just, I would just be there all the time. Like, it'd be funny because I don't think they've seen me in months. They might be wondering, and I'm very recognizable because I, I ride my one wheel, which is this electric skateboard there. So I'm sure next time I'm there, I'm going to be like, what, what happened to you? You used to be here all the time, but it's, it's wild how that changed. And in fact, even going there in the first place is because I moved from a place in Laguna beach that had very little, you know, had very little um, food around it. So I would either you know, order things or just have groceries delivered to me. But then it's interesting how, oh yeah, when I moved near this Gelson's, that was a different condition. It, it, it got me in this habit, but it's not like it's so hard for me to avoid Gelson's, particularly when I have a good morning, when I have my morning-based eating routine. It's not hard at all. I never think about it except for this podcast. So it's just something where, yeah, it wasn't that hard to stop, particularly when I had a, a best practice that excluded it, but it was just something I was doing that wasn't good. So you can just do that. You can identify your existing bad practices. Um, one category of bad practice that I've been thinking about a lot lately is, well, so there, there are two. So one I'll, I'll, I sort of already addressed, so I'll address that first. So one is a, a better practice that doesn't actually work for you. So this, this is why I said the best practices and the bad practices are very related. The, the phenomenon of, okay, for other people, a lot of people who do kind of eight hour feeding window or eating window type things later in the day works well for them. And so that was part of why I tried doing later in the day, but it didn't work as well for me. So it was a better practice for them that didn't actually work for me. And there are all kinds of things with this, you know, I'm a writer. Oh, by the way, I, I finished my manuscript of my new book. I'd mentioned that I've been mentioning that for a long time. I've been working on it. So I was excited and got really good feedback from the publisher. So just FYI, for those who are interested, off to the still off to the races, or I'm I'm completing the race, finishing up the race at least uh, for that. But I, that I was just reminded of that because I'm talking about being a writer, and you know, in writing, there are all these different practices. So people, you know, some people sit down, all you know, they sit down like just eight hours a day at a desk. Other people have you know multi-hour warm-up routine. Some people just write about different topics as inspired and they can put something down for five years and continue it. 
Some people don't. Some people like to type. Some people like to handwrite. And so this is a realm where it's it's plenty good to try out practices from people. We have to realize that somebody else's best practice uh, may well not be ours, especially with something like writing where there's a lot of specific stuff. So we want to, we particularly if we don't have any ourselves, we can try it other people's, but we have to be aware of the danger of having a somebody else's good practice that doesn't work for us. And that is that's so a writing is, is a realm that I think about a lot, but it can it can be with anything, you know, with speaking, it can be okay. Somebody says, well, just always start out your presentations with a joke. And then, well, that might work really really for them if they're really good at delivering jokes or depending on their subject matter, or it might not work well for you. And so there's just want to be aware that this is a very, there's a, there's this exciting opportunity to identify, oh yeah, what bad practices have I picked up that are bad for me that are good for other people. Now, I hasten to say, don't, this should not dissuade you at all from trying other people's practices. And in fact, I've probably talked in previous episodes, I'm a big fan of that. And in fact, I'm a big fan of trying it as specifically as possible. So if somebody has a specific practice or process or system, I want to try the system directly before I play around with it, because there is a good chance that it, at least a significant portion will work for me. And I can really only know what works until I try it exactly. And if I just try to pick and choose from it, I may well just, you know, I, I, I don't have the wisdom that the person making the recommendation did. So I think that is just, so it's, it's good to try other people's practices. It's good to apply them literally. We just have to be really aware of the results and be aware that we can, we can pick up other people's best practices that are actually bad or at least mediocre practices for us. Now, the, the type of bad practice I've been thinking about lately, which I find a little bit scary, just that I do this sometimes, but that I think this happens to a lot of people, is to adopt a bad practice because you were once told it and never really questioned. So maybe this, this, this overlaps with the other one, um, but it's, it's even like, well, it's a little different, I think, because it's it can apply to practices where it's harder to gauge the results. This is, I think, the distinction. So I'll give you a couple of examples. So one I was thinking about recently is I had a uh, had a very smart advisor who once told me, with you know, if you're writing a book, just do ever. If anyone ever wants to interview you about your book, just do the interview because if you you know, if you do the interview, like you never know when you're going to get a big break and, you know, you're, you're a writer and you want as many people to get your book as possible. And so this was a very, and still is, you know, a very smart person who has a lot of success, has sold a lot more books than I have. And I think I'm even remembering this correctly. Who knows if I am? It doesn't really matter for these purposes. But I just really took that and I noticed that I would feel compelled to do most media most of the time, even on those small stuff. And I just noticed lately I've been getting some you know, podcast queries and I'd look up at the podcast had, you know, hundred listeners or 200 listeners, 200 listeners. And I just thought like, wait a second, I don't like, I'm not primarily, I don't want to primarily do interviews. I like interviews sometimes. And if it's a really high profile thing with you, know, 50,000, uh, you know, an audience of 50,000 or more. Yeah. That can make a lot of sense given my other goals. But I just, I don't need to do interviews all the time. And I just realized I had picked up this idea 
And it was a bad practice for him. It might've been a really good practice for someone else, but I really picked it up because I was told it by somebody I really respected. And the, I think part of the reason I held on to it is it's one of these things that's harder to evaluate. Now I could evaluate, the, the, I should have probably evaluated more just, hey, this is taking up a bunch of time to do more of these interviews. But I think the reason I couldn't evaluate it fully as well, because the benefits of it are more remote and I hadn't tried to measure them. So it just seemed like, oh yeah, well, this is something that's benefiting me. This has been, but it just wasn't thought through at all. Uh, another one that I had picked up years ago in, in a similar vein is just the idea of don't do a TEDx talk. Like if you get inter- asked to do a TEDx talk, don't do a TEDx talk because then it makes it harder to do a TED talk if you do a TEDx talk. I assume people know what TED and TEDx talks are. And that's just one where I just realized for years, I, I like turned down a bunch of TEDx talks and I just had this thing and I really didn't question it. I mean, it was just like, oh, I, I didn't know the data behind it. I mean, it was somewhat plausible, but then at the same time, I saw, you know, like if you look at Simon Sinek, he has this TEDx talk about, I think it's the golden triangle, whatever his core concept is. It's a good, you know, good talk. He mentioned Steve Jobs in it and that has what 20 million plus views and it also got him on the stage at TED. But I just had this idea, well, I'm holding out for regular TED. And if I do TEDx, I'm not going to get a TED. It just was not thought through. Now, I don't feel like in this case, I missed out on anything really good. But if I'd been thinking about it differently, I might've thought with some of these things, yeah, I would like to have a TEDx talk because they're filmed really well. And because it could, you know, it could be a beneficial asset to have on YouTube. And do I really care about speaking at TED ever? And am I going to ever speak at TED given TED's politics and particularly their views on energy that are very, mine are very different from now. Maybe I might at some point, but it just wasn't really, it was it definitely wasn't thought through carefully by me, but it, it was this thing where the result of the practice was hard to measure. I think that's, that's where we're most in danger of adopting and keeping bad practices because an expert told us is that when we can't, when, when we don't have the infrastructure in place to evaluate the practice, it's easy to hold on to those, but that can that can either just consume a lot of time or it can forego a lot of opportunity or both. So that's a good another good thing to look at in addition to okay, what are you know what are uh, somebody else's good practices that don't work for me that I know don't work for me, and then also what are practices I've picked up from other people that I haven't really evaluated because any practice we're doing it's part of our habits, it's taking up time. It's got opportunity cost because there's other stuff we're not doing. So it's worth thinking, yeah, have I picked up anything? So that is the uh, that is today's show, basically. We want to just to recap, you want to identify your best practices and your bad practice. You want to know, you know, given your nature and given the nature of reality, what works well for you and what doesn't. And I really and I'm encouraging you to focus on things that are pretty easy to change. So not the habits or practices that are just super hard to break or super hard to change and you know are bad or not good for you in the in the scheme of things, but rather what are things that, for example, you have given up in the past, but they weren't, they're not that hard to bring back and you might even like them more. So it might be an eating routine, it might be an exercise routine, it might be something else. But if you can identify those things that really work for you that you've stopped doing, but that you could easily start doing, that's huge. And then if you can identify bad practices that you hadn't really thought about and that would be pretty easy to stop doing, might be even easier to stop doing. So for me, it's not hard for me not to do interviews 
for media. That is not a hard thing for me to turn down. I don't, I was conflicted about doing it before because I was just dogmatically uh, sitting on this uh, piece of advice that I had never really thought through. So often the bad practice is not something that's hard to give up. It might be something that's very liberating to give up. And that can even be a very good indicator, a, a final indicator of a, or another indicator, I should say, I haven't inventoried them all, of a, of a bad practice, which is just that, yeah, something you're doing that you really don't enjoy and that you dread, yeah, if that's the way it is all the time, then you might think about, it's probably not the best practice. There's probably something you could do that would be a lot more enjoyable, certainly a lot less painful, and that would, uh, you know, would bring you results and so you can get rid of that bad practice. So look for those easy to adopt best practices and those easy to dump bad practices. All right. That is it for today. As always, if you have any questions, comments, love mail, or hate mail, you can email me at alex at alexepstein.com. You can subscribe to updates so you get notified of this show at humanflourishingproject.com. You can discuss the episode on Facebook at facebook.com slash humanflourishingproject. That is it for this week. I'll be back in two weeks. Until then, I'm Alex Epstein. This has been the Human Flourishing Project.